Hi, Emma. Hi, Alan. For those that don't know you, could you tell me a little bit about who you are, what you do and why you do it? Okay, that's a few questions. Um, so I'm Emma Neary. Um, I head up talent acquisition at Money Supermarkets. Uh, I am within my first few months there, so it's all quite new. But prior to that, I was at Shop Direct, um, heading up the talent acquisition function there for about five and a half years. Excellent. What, what have you been tasked with at Money Supermarket? Um, essentially moving towards a, a kind of direct sourcing model. So um, there hasn't been anybody in my role previously and we're operating at about a 40%-ish agency spend. Um, so there have been a few hires made into the team this year. Um, and as we go into the new financial year, we're obviously looking to improve the, the direct sourcing. Um, and I guess there are a couple of kind of key projects that we're going to look at that will help us do that. And that's something you've done before? Is it the direct sourcing Yeah, absolutely. So um, when I joined Shop Direct, um, there wasn't really an in-house function. There was myself and a colleague. Um, I didn't realise till I joined there was no ATS. Um, it was notepads and in people's heads. Um, Fantastic. So <laughs> when I joined there, it was about 85-90% agency. Um, and when I left, it was about 10% agency. So, you know, that was over a period of time. Um, but um, it was an integral part of the business. Do you see as the kind of key things you need to change to move towards that direct sourcing model? Um, it, it's not easy. I think it's a combination of things. So it's a combination of having the right people within the team and absolute clarity of the part that people play. Um, it's about having the right technology in place to help. Um, and uh, for me, it's a team of people who really want to act as the conscience of the hiring manager. Um, I think recruiters typically are yes people and want to be everybody's friend and liked. Um, whereas if you're going to build an in-house function, particularly where there might be that mentality of, well, I just want to go to an agency, I want to go to the person I know, um, you've got quite a lot of persuasion um, mm. and you, you need to be particularly resilient around that as well. Did you hear that some teams who have you know, lots of recruiters, um, but those recruiters aren't necessarily doing the right thing. So they might be just order takers. They're kind of, yeah. as you say, yes people. And mm. um, how do you move a recruiter from being that kind of order taker to being more of a kind of true consultative business partner? Yeah, I mean, look, it starts with the recruiter's kind of desire and mentality in the, in the first place. Um, you know, when you get people to start thinking differently and just show some simple examples, um, I think it can open people's eyes. It, for me, particularly when you've come through an agency background, you can almost go into that autopilot mode. Um, whereas if you start challenging around, you know, who's accountable for this hire? It's really interesting to see what people say. And is it the manager or is it us? And you know, it's the manager. We're there to help. We're not there to, to do everything for them. Um, but I think, you know, from a manager's point of view as well, when you have that first meeting with them about the brief, that is your opportunity to show the difference that you can make as an in-house function by really challenging them on what they're looking for. And I think when you start having that conversation with recruiters and they start seeing the impact that they're having, and it's not just, okay, yes, we'll have somebody with, you know, X, Y, and Z skill, good communication skills, this, that, and the other. And they start asking why, and they're inquisitive and they question, very often the managers will go, yeah, that's a really good question. I've not thought about that. And they can start seeing the value that they're adding. Is there an element of process still, even with that brief taking, that you've got to kind of cover off certain points to make sure you've collected everything you need? There is. And, you know, look, I started years ago in agency and used to have, you know, like a, 
almost like an order sheet to mm. use to use your kind of phrase. I think you know the more you practice, the more you find your own rhythm with it. Um, I guess kind of the way that I've approached things and the way that I encourage my teams to approach things is that once you've gone through the, the skills and by and large your technical skills are okay, it's more the behavioural side that you're looking for, um, really to focus in on it. So if a manager said, well, I want somebody with good communication skills, who's resilient, who's got an eye for detail. And let's be honest, I've been in briefs, whether it's a lawyer, a fashion designer <laughs> or a buyer, they all say the same thing. It's to really probe and say, okay, why? So why have you mentioned you know, stakeholder management within your top three? Um, and to ask them what they mean by that, make sure you're on the same page. Um, and for me then, it's to say, well, so you've chosen stakeholder management as one of the top three things. In what examples, in what kind of scenarios will people need to demonstrate high levels of stakeholder engagement? And people start thinking about it then and they kind of go, oh, well, you know, there's this, um, you know, senior managers meeting or there's, there's this kind of scenario that, that people need to attend and you've got to, you've got to not stop there say okay take me into that managers meeting why stakeholder management important there who's there in the room okay who's the difficult people so if somebody's demonstrating high levels of stakeholder management in that scenario what will they be saying what will you see them do what will you hear them say what are the red flags for you what are the kind of warning signs so that's not just about understanding what is this, be, is this brief and really kind of honing in on are we looking after the right things. That informs the whole of the rest of the process for me. It helps you create a really you know, compelling and engaging um, interview experience as well, perhaps with some of the scenarios that you present to people. So it's, uh, yeah, it's an important part of the process for me. And how does taking a better brief support how you then support candidates through the process? Um, you've got to get that bit right and be aligned with your manager from day one. You know, when you cut to the chase, if you don't get that right, we've all kind of experienced things happening like a manager will pivot on what they want partway through a process. Um, we've had examples of managers getting candidates through to second interview and going, oh, they've not got retail experience. Well, no, they didn't when you saw the CV in the first place, you know, so, you know, imagine going back to a candidate at that point and that's the feedback that you've got to give. Um, so, you know, I think it, it, it's on us um, to kind of make sure we're covering that off. Also, you know, feedback's really important to candidates. You know, when I've looked at candidate experience surveys previously, it's always one of the top things. How can you give constructive feedback to people if you've not been clear on what you're looking for from the outset? It tends to be just kind of hunch and a feeling and the managers ask you to kind of go back and give the feedback that you can. So we've got to hold our managers to account on that and ultimately the candidates will get a better experience. Going more into that business partnering piece, mm. so you know, ultimately I guess you want your recruiters to be seen as strategically valuable. Yes. You know, the business values there, their input, the work they do to support the hiring that they're ultimately accountable for as yeah. in the hiring manager is. What else can a recruiter do to be seen as strategic or the recruitment team as a whole? Um, so I think use of data is really important. Um, using that in that first briefing session to really talk about what's happened internally previously with those roles, to look at what's happening within the market. Um, managers often won't have the finger on the pulse in the same way that the recruitment team will, so it's been able to actually go and have that conversation with them. Um, and I think, you know, some of the other things are around um, how do you really engage them in that um, hiring journey? So looking at, you know, sort of thinking about who they're looking for as people 
um, what makes them tick, what's important to them. So stopping and not trying to say, well, this is what we think people should hear, but what is it they really want to know from us um, and why should they come and work here? And then really engaging with the business areas around how they can support with that and the part they play. So it, it's trying to kind of shift that dial that this isn't about a team of you know X number of recruiters that's going to do this job for you. We'll do it with you, but you and your teams are playing in this market with your peer group day in, day out. So we're going to get better results if we work together on it. Um, and I think when you hold people to account in that way and you position it and we're in this together, you both play your part, then I think you get, you know, ultimately better results, better candidate experience. Um, yeah. So it's turning hiring managers as much as possible into almost part of the recruitment team. So they're actively, we've got that recruitment culture running through their blood that they're kind of thinking yeah. about what can we do to attract more talent. Yeah, it is. Um, it, it's absolutely that. And I think sometimes, again, as recruiters, because it's second nature to what we do, um, you know, sometimes you can expect managers to just get it in the mm. same way and they don't. Um, you know, so I've talked with you know, some of the tech hiring um, teams, for example, around, you know, for for those kind of real rock stars that we're looking for, there's a difference between a recruiter contacting them and actually somebody from the business reaching mm. out to them. So we've been encouraging them to try and have those conversations. And you kind of think it's easy, but it's funny because managers will talk about it, you know, particularly in tech, about it being an experiment. Mm. Um, and you know, you kind of realize that this is not second nature to people. So you have to be able to put that time into kind of coach and develop and support. That's a really big part of our role as well. Absolutely. I guess you, as a recruiter, you would think, well, if they asked me to do stuff that was second nature to them, yeah, how yeah. easily would I kind of drop into being a yeah, developer? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or exactly. a data scientist? It's yeah. no different, is it, really? No, not at all. So um, oh, that's one side. We've talked about the hiring teams, hiring managers, and how we can do better by them and vice yeah. versa, and how we can work better with them to be more strategic. What about candidates? What can we do better to um, improve the candidate experience as they work through the recruitment process? Um, listen to them and treat them as people, which I know sounds really easy, but recruiters in general aren't very good at it. Um, and I, you know, I guess there are there are a few things that you know I can can share. They're really simple things that we've we've changed along the way. So, you know, if you think about it as a put yourself in the candidate's shoes, and that's one thing I really encourage my team to do, and they find it quite hard sometimes to actually stop and think it. it very often becomes about us. Mm. Um, but you know, a candidate's applied for a role, they've put the effort in to apply, it's something that they're really interested in. Now, for some, you know, whatever reason, they might not just be quite the right person that we're looking for, and we can tell that from the CV. How many businesses send an email out that's, you know, thanks very much for your application for such and such a position. Unfortunately, on this occasion, you've not been successful. And um, we've had applications from other candidates who are more, so, you know, there are various mm. kind of but just acknowledging they've taken the time out to do this. This might not be right for this particular um, uh, this particular brief, but there could be other opportunities that play to their strengths. So to encourage them to kind of stay in touch with us. Um, and also when it comes to giving candidates feedback, so people who've actually you know, given up a lot of time to come and have the interview, prepare, Sometimes they've been asked to do a presentation. Um, you know, you've got to think about their lives as well. It could be somebody who um, either needs to take the day off work or perhaps needs somebody to look after the child so they could come. Mm. There's all sorts of other factors. 
Um, why do we not give them feedback? Or why do we not give them, you know, specific feedback? Um, and, you know, one of the organisations I worked at, 22% of candidates didn't receive feedback at all. And it's just not good enough. And there are various reasons as to why that might be. Um, you know, but we, we need to make sure they have it and they have it on their terms. So as recruiters, you can often think, well, I need to give that experience, uh, sorry, that feedback to them. And actually, it's another thing on my to-do list. Mm. I can then kind of cross up and say, yes, I've done that. But we phone candidates when they're in the office, try to start talking about feedback with them. It's not necessarily positive, And we wonder why it's an awkward conversation for everybody. When we did some listening groups um, at my last company, we spent quite a bit of time trying to understand well, how would you like to receive that feedback and the ultimate place that we got to was um, sending an email at the earliest possible opportunity and we tell people that in the email to say look unfortunately it is a no on this occasion following your interview and um, we've had some top level feedback for you around these two or three key areas if you'd like more detail please let us know and we'll arrange a time that's convenient for you to speak that transformed how people thought about us and you really saw a big improvement there um, and actually interestingly enough it didn't mean that recruiters suddenly got a lot of calls no. people were happy because they just knew no. what the outcome was and they had some themes it's something tangible isn't yeah, it even if it's relatively minor relatively lacking in detail it's a yes or a no it's much what people want exactly isn't it? they don't necessarily need war and peace exactly they want closure whether that's positive or perceived yep. as negative closure, they just want to know what's happening. They do. And, and they expect at. that now, don't they? And, you know, <laughs> the application's made online, everything's by email nowadays. I mean, I know if I email a company or somebody, I kind of expect an answer back, yeah. even though I'm not very good at always doing that myself to other people. It's, <laughs> you know, but the, the, the candidates are really important. They're important for, you know, our, our brand as well. What, what role can technology play in, in supporting your team to become more of a direct sourcing function? Yeah, well, look, there's so much technology out there um, and I think you have to choose really wisely. And for me, it's about freeing up um, the recruitment team's time to actually engage and build relationships both internally and also with the candidates as well. Um, so, you know, if you go back, a, you know, a few years, you'll have the kind of the core ATS, but nothing else up front. Mm. Um, one of the things that I've been looking at in the early days um, at Money Supermarket is we have an ATS. What else do we need to put in place? So we're looking at intelligent sourcing. So we're investing in a tool that we'll start using from January, um, which means that instead of running kind of multiple different search strings across multiple different sites, um, the recruiters will be able to get the results back pretty instantaneously. Nice. Um, and then the second thing following that is we found them. How do we keep them engaged? And that's bringing a CRM into the game. So we'll be starting to look at that. And, and that's something we've used previously, more for your, your core kind of pipelines. And the, for me, tech should be all about automating stuff that humans aren't all that great at yep. and actually can be done by technology much more efficiently. And um, what's your kind of opinion on that? Yeah, totally agree. Um, I think one of the things that I like about the tech that we're investing in, in terms of sourcing is there's a level of automation in there so that if people aren't responding or certain things happen, you can trigger additional personalised emails to them. Um, and it's also things, you know, when I've been through a recent exercise with, with my team, you look at the pain points, arranging interviews mm. is a nightmare. Just You just, you know, 
kind of administering a process, not really adding any value. Whereas if you've got um, interview scheduling software, it's easy for the candidates, it's easy for the managers, and the recruiters don't need to worry about it so much. So it's those kind of things. It's not so much the kind of shiny jazz hands. I think that's great if you've got a great, you know, mm. big budget. Um, but actually, how do you use your budget wisely to free up people's time? I've seen recruitment teams that aren't all that big having somebody permanently doing interview arranging and nothing yes. else. Yes. Yeah, a full-time exactly. salary costing tens of thousands of pounds a year yep. when you can buy a bit of tech that can do it for a quarter of that. Absolutely. Yeah. And sometimes it's the small things as well. And even when you relate it back to candidate experience, you don't need to spend a lot of money on it. It's just thinking about how do I give people feedback? How do I keep them informed? Simple communication. So I think you've got to be, it's easy to get, you know, kind of sort of sucked into the great stuff that's out there. Um, but you've got to really relate it back to what's right for us at this point in time in our kind of TA journey. And, and for us at Money Supermarket, we're in the earlier stages mm. and we're, we're pretty happy and pretty clear with next year, some sourcing, CRM, ATS. It's, it's a good start for us. How important do you think it is that a recruitment process moves at a, a reasonable pace? Huh, very, yeah. Um, one of the things that um, we've been looking at at Money Supermarket is we've been doing quite substantial tech hiring into Manchester. Um, and it was very apparent early early on um, that it just wasn't moving fast enough and we were losing people. Um, so that's been much more streamlined into more of a kind of one stage kind of experiential type um, interview scenario. So, um, you know, it, it's it's amazing how quickly their market moves and it needs to be very well organized and thought out up front to be able to pull on different people at the right time and make sure that everybody's got flexibility which is hard when the managers and the recruiting teams they've got their day jobs to do mm. as well what well, would say one of the biggest blockers then to that pacey process what are the kind of things you want to be trying to remove to make it much more speedy Look, it depends what type of role you're hiring for but, um, you know, some of the things are as you're moving people through that journey, think about things that are really simple. So if you're asking people to come in and do a presentation, for example, they're going to need a certain period of time. That means you can't have an interview one day and let's bring them back in for a second the next day. So unless presenting is absolutely critical to that role, why are we asking them to do it? Why don't we just give them a scenario or something on the day to think about? So some of that's just, you know, making sure that we're not giving people too much to do up front. Um, and then being really clear, I think, with the hiring teams. Again, it's quite simple, but just make sure that they've got time booked out and committed that doesn't move in advance. Um, and by, I guess, being more... Um, Kind of keeping in touch with them more uh, by having maybe daily catch-ups it holds people to account mm -hmm. as well um, but you know ultimately it matters to hiring managers that they get the right people in um, and broadly if you set that up well at the front end you know we, we tend to find you just you know fit into a team really well it's about positioning up front and it just yeah. explain to them the reasons that we need to do things like this and yeah. why we need to move quickly. You'll find they'll be on side much more than if they feel like they're just being prodded and poked and pulled yeah. in various directions. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you don't want to interview lots and lots of people. So, again, it does link back to the mindset where managers want 10 CVs or lots of CVs to benchmark against. Well, no, this is what we set out to look for. This is what we said was important. Why do you need to interview six, seven people? Here's two or three brilliant people. Mm. So, you, you know, you, you kind of tie that in and as a recruiter, really get them focused on who they should be seeing 
that massively reduces their time anyway. You've got to, but you've got to build that trust for them. So, a key part of direct sourcing is clearly actually marketing opportunities down mm. to candidates. It's not all going to go and grab, 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 grab. We want people to come into us as well. How can an organisation get better at describing the opportunity it offers to a potential employee? Okay, I mean, I think there's lots of, of different ways. And if I think about some of the work that um, we've been looking at over the last couple of years, you know, I think back and I'm probably quite embarrassed to say that a number of years ago, we used to just copy and paste a um, standard job spec that a manager had given us and put it out there on the job boards. Um, obviously, the world's moved on, fortunately. So what I um, do with the teams is kind of encourage them once they've really got under the skin of the role is think about how do we tell that story to the candidates? You know, you don't have to put every single thing in that brief, but it, it's to, to see what we can do to kind of bring that to life for people. So I think there's an element there about how do you do that, whether that's through, you know, a traditional but more storytelling job ad through to um, where we've seen a lot of success, which is where we've got a manager or somebody from the team um, actually talking about the job to camera and then actually sharing that in, uh, across kind of social media. Um, and that has a really big kind of uptake and you kind of get that human element in there as well. Um, and I would say one of the other things that we... Um, realized is the importance of really um, making it easy. So once you've engaged with somebody and they want to apply, how do you make sure that they can apply in a way that's right for them? So, you know, it doesn't have to be a CV. And actually, a lot of times when you're proactively sourcing people, they're not actively looking, feels a bit of a pain to say, well, actually, sorry, do you mind providing us with a CV? So, you know, you need to think about that. But if they are, you know, going through that typical kind of ATS route, um, we discovered at Shop Direct that there was a significant um, drop off from when people clicked on the apply button. We actually lost 36% of people immediately before they even started the application because there was um, they were asked to create a profile. Yeah. I just want to apply for a job. I don't want to, you know, create a profile. We didn't tell them the benefits of it. It probably wasn't in the appropriate place. Um, and actually, by very simply flipping that profile to the end of that journey and being able to explain, well, this will allow you to track your progress and see where your application's up to, etc. Um, you know, that's had a massive impact. I think that's so, so simple in, in it terms is. of how you explain yeah. it. But without doing that analysis and seeing that data, yeah. you probably wouldn't have ever identified that. It would it's have been just, guesswork. Absolutely. It's just being inquisitive. You know, if we hadn't really thought, we've got to look at how we enhance the experience for our candidates and really gone into it in that level of detail, we just wouldn't have known. So it was, yeah, very insightful. Excellent. Emma, thank you very much for your Great. time. Thank really you. Really appreciate Good it. Good to see you. Cheers.